Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 87 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. We're getting towards the end of it, and boy, I could really use the weekend, but we're making our way through the week. Got a new episode this week, and I'm really... Uh, kind of, it's interesting, we recorded this episode uh, in between recording the episode for Seven and actually editing it to get it put together, and I didn't realize at the time that Adam and I were having this conversation, how it kind of tied in thematically with some of the stuff we were talking about with Seven. For instance, there is a point where Adam talks about movies that he won't watch again, which ties very much into the conversation we were having with Seven. So this ends up being a really good follow-up to Seven. It is a movie that I had never heard of before, The Proposition from 2005, uh, and it is a Western with Guy Pierce, and that's about all that I really knew about it going into it. And as I talk with Adam, it, it turns out to be a very different movie than what I was expecting based on the movie's logline and trailer and such, uh, but I hope you will check it out, if not the movie itself, then the episode that we recorded about it. My guest this week is Adam Thomas, back for his fourth appearance. Uh, of course, Adam is part of the Double Edge, Double Bill podcast uh, and is just a wonderful guy to talk with. We give each other a lot of hell when we get the chance, whether it's on the internet, you know, through social media or just, you know, having a Zoom chat. We give each other a hard time, but the truth is, he's a really great guy that I enjoy talking about movies with, and we've had some great conversations off mic as well as on, so I was really excited that he agreed to come back on the show. And, you know, he has brought a slew of interesting movies, and this week's offering is no different. So here we go. Give a listen to our recording with Adam Thomas talking about 2005's The Proposition. <laughs> I want to kick things off. We usually do this, you know, small talk at the beginning. You've been on the show a couple of times. Yeah. So it means a little less small talk to have because it's not like, oh, well, who are? Tell me about yourself. But I- I've been listening to your your show, your podcast, and in the last let's say month, I have gotten to listen to you trash talk two highly acclaimed, much beloved movies uh, between Forrest Gump, which uh, you just didn't have anything pleasant to say about, and 2001 A Space Odyssey, which you pretty much summed up as you feel is boring. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I, I stick by that. Like I said, I get it why, you know, some people might love that movie or it's just so precious to them or whatever it just never worked for me i just think it's sort of bloated and boring but to be fair i i think a lot of kubrick stuff is like that i'm not a big kubrick guy never really have been well what i've done for a little game here and these games never work well for me but we'll go ahead and try it anyway <laughs> um what i've done is i've i've pulled a, a list of 10 titles from imdb's top 250 films and okay. I thought I'd, I'd give you a chance to just trash talk all these movies, you know, just just sure. all in one lump sum. I'm down for that. All right. So first up is The Shawshank Redemption. That's like the number one top movie at IMDb. Which I actually do like, The Shawshank Redemption. Really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do like The Shawshank Redemption, for sure. To the point where the year it was nominated, I think it was nominated against Forrest Gump and Lost. And uh yeah, I've always I've been a fan of that one pretty much since it came out, but not necessarily because I can't I don't really like Tim Robbins. I never really have. Like he's fine. Like Jacob's Ladder is probably my favorite thing he's done, and maybe like Mystic River. He was really good in that. But um, it's the Morgan Freeman is phenomenal. I mean, it, the I can never remember his name, but the guy who plays the warden is fucking amazing in it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like Shawshank Redemption. Bob Gunton. 
Yeah, he's great. Yeah, like great. I'm watching uh, season one of Daredevil with my son because you know mm-hmm. he he never watched those shows. They, he was definitely too young for them when they came onto Netflix. And now that he's been introduced to Matt Murdock via some of the more recent MCU stuff, we're watching that. And Bob Gutton's in that first season. I'm just like, oh yeah, I forgot how much yeah. I love this guy. Yeah, he's great. Okay, uh, The Godfather. Oh, it's a classic, man. I love that one too. I think um, I think you're missing the point of trash talking here. <laughs> I don't really, yeah, but <laughs> I can I, I literally I can honestly say I don't think I have a bad word I could say about the Godfather. Now, if we get into the sequels, then it ups and by the third one, it's like I'll just rip it to shreds. <laughs> the, um, the third one is not in the top, at least not the top ten or fifteen. Fucking <laughs> bad. Uh, but I prefer the first one to the second one. I know a lot of people prefer the second to the first, but uh, yeah, I think the first one's just amazing. You know, rewatching it, not very recently, but within the last couple of years, uh, just made me sort of reappreciate and then go back through and watch old school Al Pacino movies. And uh, it really changed my opinion on him. I, like, I always liked him, but, you know, I grew up, like, post-Scent of a Woman Al Pacino, where he was basically that character and everything. Right. Uh, you go back and watch the older movies, I mean, he turns in some fucking wonderful, nuanced performances. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. The Dark Knight. Fucking hate it. Are you serious? Yeah, I think it is the most overly loved, pretentious superhero movie there is. I, I cannot stand it. I like Heath Ledger in it. I really do. I, I get why he's such a beloved performance, but I don't think really anything other than the cinematography and score work in that movie. Uh, I think Christian Bale's, what he started doing with his voice in that one compared to even Batman Begins, I mean, he, it's an unintelligible Batman. And then I think Aaron Eckhart is terrible. And Maggie Gyllenhaal, that, that's who these two studs are going after. Maggie <laughs> Gyllenhaal. I mean, not to decry anybody's looks, but she looks like a shoe. Uh, it's just, I just, I don't get it. I, you know, not that Katie Holmes is better. At least Maggie Gyllenhaal is a better actress. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, I never liked it, man. I think it's, and I also think it's overtly long. All right. Yeah. Fuck that movie. Okay. 12 <laughs> Angry Men. You know, <laughs> what version are we talking here? Oh, I'm sure the uh, classic Henry Fonda. That's a pretty good movie. I don't really have much to say about that one. It's pretty fucking good. Okay. All right. I'm ready. I'm ready for you just to to uh, just absolutely let loose with the negativity okay. now. Schindler's List. All right. First of all, if I start going negative on Schindler's <laughs> List, like, man, that is, I can't go negative on Schindler's List, man. I mean, people will think I'm a fucking Nazi. I, I like Schindler's List. It is long, but I think Ray Fiennes turns in you know, and I think it's probably the first time I saw Ray Fiennes in anything. So well, I think it's the first crazy. time anybody did. I think that was his breakout role. For the role. most part, yeah. And it, I mean, it's deserved. He's such a vile piece of trash. Yeah. All right. Uh, Lord of the Rings. Uh, I think The Two Towers is my favorite one out of all of them. I'd argue The Two Towers is one of the better, like, branching sequels in any sort of trilogy we've gotten. Except for maybe Empire, of course. I think Return of the King is so ridiculous. Ridiculously long. And <laughs> That's specifically many, the one. <laughs> how many fucking endings do we need? Good <laughs> lord, man. It just, uh, you know, Frodo waking up and, oh, 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 like, oh, Jesus Christ, this is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, no. And the Hobbit movies are fucking garbage. 
Yeah, I revisit the Lord of the Rings trilogy at least once every couple of years, like usually like every other year or so. I have mm-hmm. yet to revisit the Hobbit movies since I saw them in the theater. Because they're terrible. Yeah, I mean, they were they're enjoyable just, enough, but there wasn't anything... It's just it's all CGI. The whole yeah. thing is CGI. It's yeah, like... and, and that's the Lord of the Rings is like you still have all that forced perspective and yeah. and then they just computer generate everything in the in the Hobbit movies. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't work. It just looks ugly and bland and instantly ages the movie. Okay. Pulp Fiction. I mean, Pulp Fiction is, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's my favorite of the, it's not my favorite Tarantino movie. And it's about maybe one of the only John Travolta performances I can actually sit through and not just (laughs) get angry about. Uh, I think Pulp Fiction's good, man. It's it's definitely, uh, you know, put Tarantino on the map deservedly. Of course, Reservoir Dogs was like a festival darling, but Pulp Fiction was like just a mammoth animal when it came out. Yeah. But yeah, I think I think uh, the follow up, his follow up movie was my is actually my favorite. It's not even based. It's not even an original screenplay, but I fucking love Jackie Brown. And I still have not seen Jackie Brown. Oh uh, well, guess what? We maybe another. Appeal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Classic. Yeah, I didn't classic. figure you'd have anything bad to say about that no, one. No, and I, I'm a huge sort of classic Western fan, and uh, that's one of my favorites. Not my favorite, but it's definitely one of my favorites. My favorite's probably The Searchers, but yeah, I love Good, Bad, The Ugly. It's okay. great. Fight Club? Loved it when it came out quite a bit. I was definitely one of those, like, oh my god, I gotta go get the book and sort of, you know, obsessed and read anything I could find by Chuck Palahniuk, and it was definitely one of the, you know, they got the ending, oh, it's so mind-blowing, and, like, Brad Pitt is so fucking cool in this, and he still is cool, but I think that movie is exactly that. It's, like, for teenage rage, like, male teenage rage fantasy. See, I still have not seen that, and uh, part of that is because I, A, I, f- I found out the ending, you know? I mean, when yeah, you go, well, when you go yeah. 20, 30 years without watching the movie, you, you're eventually going to get spoiled. But two, because that's kind of my theory, is I think as a middle-aged man, I'm not going to see that what the hype is about i think that's accurate yeah it doesn't hold up it reminds me of like uh we talked about it on my show like when it first came out when i was younger and saw it like boondock saints loved it yeah you watch it now and you're like woof i had a student suggest that film to me about a decade ago and i tried watching it and was just like no this is not for me i didn't even finish the film no i don't blame you 16 year old 17 year old though yeah I was like, this movie's awesome. But All right. yeah, it sucks. We'll end on a strong one, because I'm sure you have feelings on this. Inception. You know, I think Inception might be Nolan's masterpiece, to be really? honest. Okay. Yeah, I I absolutely love it. I It's one of those that I've seen, I don't know how many times. Like, I know so it, it's got a little bit of backlash. Like, even my co-host didn't like it when it came out. But I'd put Inception up against Tenet or Interstellar or any of those. And be like, it's a better movie. Tenet was terrible. And it's garbage yeah it that was yeah 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 but inception might be my favorite nolan i mean i really still like memento quite yeah. a bit as well but um and i have zero interest in oppenheimer I'll, I'll see it i'm sure i'll see it i mean i'll probably see it but i just don't give a fuck about oppenheimer <laughs> well there you go so you you did bring up memento which along with lord of the rings and the good and the bad and the ugly kind of all combined to give us the movie that you picked uh-huh. <laughs> for this this episode and you picked 2005's the proposition written by nick cave directed by john hillcoat starring ray winstone guy pierce emily watson and others Australia, what fresh hell is this? 
Christmas this year will hold a unique significance for young Mickey here. I have made plans that he be taken from the jail in Banyan. Hang by the neck until he is dead. I wish to present you with a proposition. You want me to kill me, brother? I want you to kill your brother. Word has it that you had Charlie Burns and you let him go. Holy mother of mercy. Look who's raised himself from the dead. Word has it that you offered him some kind of deal. Half the birds must be stopped. <laughs> this man, this man. The blacks say that he's a spirit. Cannot cut you. Cannot kill him. Charlie Burns will stop at nothing to pretend his younger brother might. I know why you've come back, Charlie. For what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Yeah, hang on, Mikey, come Christmas Day. Brother! I'm so sorry. I just wanted to protect you. You have to kill one. One! Make sure you bloody will kill them all. No! She was my friend! Your brother's come to kill you. I start with this question every time. I'm, I'm starting to realize I need to start asking my guests this question before I watch the movie. All right. So, which is, how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? Because you brought up this movie. Thankfully, you sent me an IMDb link, so I knew you know I was picking the right film. I didn't accidentally type in the proposal and end up watching a Ryan Reynolds rom-com. How do you describe this movie to someone who's not seen it? I was dirty, sweaty, smelly, sun-soaked, beautifully shot, wonderfully acted sort of revenge western. Okay. So the the log line for this on IMDb, which again, you sent me the link to, is in the harsh outback of 1880s Australia, the brutal Burns brothers are wanted for a vicious crime. When Charlie Burns is captured, the officer arresting makes a startling proposition in order to end the cycle of violence. Charlie must hunt down and murder his violent older brother, Arthur, in order to save his youngest brother from the noose. And that's not really what this movie is about. I mean, that's that's part of the plot, but that made me feel like this was going to be a, a, a much more about the brothers type movie. Right. It's really more about the captain. Yeah, yeah. It's about the captain and sort of British-occupied Australia. Yeah. I mean... So that's why I was curious as to how you described it, because that's... That it, I ended up being, and we'll get into this as we get into the movie, but I ended up being kind of disappointed with the film that I was watching because it wasn't the film I expected based on that description. So the official description of the movie actually doesn't do it a lot of justice. Uh, I mean, I agree. I, I mean, it is obviously the major sort of plot device of the film is sort of the prop, the, the titular proposition that happens right. within what the first five minutes of the movie and then it becomes sort of a slow character piece right and it is not a character piece about the bad guys as much about the violent family it's more a character piece about the captain and yeah, his, his wife life. and yeah. that existence which that is not what i was expecting i i even wrote down in my notes that this was like a western version of the trolley conundrum you know yeah yeah i could which way do you go? But that's not really what the movie ends up being at all. So that's what I was ex- anticipating, which, mm. again, that's not the movie's fault, but that was that was what I was expecting. No, I can understand that. I guess, 
you know, not thinking that it, I've I've seen this movie so many times now, so I know what to expect out of it. I didn't know what to expect out of it going in the first time, but I just there's something about it that hooked me the very first time I saw it. I and I want to say it was in particular the um, the night footage. Mm-hmm. Uh, like sort of Guy Pierce on the horse, which is the sky, and Nick Cave's soundtrack. Yeah, is just incredible. And a lot of people, like in case anybody knows, it's Nick Cave of Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Like you know the song "Red Right Hand" that plays and everything. That's Nick Cave, right? And the weird thing for me is like you you brought up Memento earlier. You know that that was my introduction to Chris Nolan. That was my introduction to Guy Pierce. And then like I know he did that terrible Time Machine adaptation oh god but yeah. then he kind of like disappeared and then he like he reappeared in the king's speech as the king's brother and he, it was he was fabulous in that and it's like you brought what? this up you forgot la confidential i have not seen la confidential it's i, I own a copy and i haven't watched it yet but that's pretty great you bring this movie up and i looked at it and went guy pierce really and like it reminded me of when our mutual friend james was on the podcast and and brought up ravenous which is a Guy Pierce film that I'd never heard of and had not seen. And it's like, he's done a lot more movies than you're aware of, but he just kind of, he went on the down low for a while, which yeah, maybe after the time machine is what he needed to do. I don't know. <laughs> That's a pretty bad one. Yeah, he does a lot of like little small movies, man. He's always popping up and shit. Like, I mean, Iron Man 3, you know, he's oh, yeah. is one of the villains, which is terrible, but he's good, but it's a terrible movie. Uh, but he's always popping up here and there. But yeah, God, if Ravenous, I didn't even think about that. That's what we're covering on my show this Friday. Oh, really? Um, yeah, which I've seen that a thousand times. But yeah, you know, and as much as I do like Guy Pierce and I do like him in this, I can honestly say for an actor who I typically don't like but turns in an amazing performance is Danny Houston. Yeah, and I think, because I got the chance with my old podcast to interview him, and I think he had just finished filming this when I was talking with him. Because, oh. like, that suddenly, like, hit something in my memory of, like, oh, I remember him talking about this. So I think that that was around that time. It was not – I mean, this didn't get a huge release. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but yeah. All right. So we you, you've been on the podcast, as we said, a couple times before. You did Dark City, fantastic, uh, kind of heady sci-fi film. The Jacket, even more heady sci-fi time travel film. Uh, the remake of Night of the Living Dead. Mm-hmm. And now we're going Western. So why this movie? Why what, what made you go from heady science fiction to Western revenge film? Well, you know, in the same way, it is also sort of a like the jacket. Not so much as Dark City, but like the jacket, I guess. Uh, it is kind of a slow burn movie. And then when there's occasional moments of just insane violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's shocking violence. That's the thing. Particularly the sort of ending 10 minutes. It's yeah. like, it's pretty hard to watch, but, or the flogging. Oh, good God. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's rough, but it's just, it's this really slow, deep, not deep, but slow, methodically told character study with these bursts of intense violence to break it up. And like I said, the beautiful score, the performances, the, the like one of my favorite scenes in a movie ever is in this. It's when the uh, Samuel singing Peggy Gordon mm. over the flogging and all. It's so disturbing and just awful, but yet it's got this weird beauty to it. And that character, by the way, is a psychopath. Yeah. But um, it's just it's just such a hard movie to sort of pigeonhole into one genre i mean yes it's a western and yes it's got revenge elements i guess you know a subgenre it's a western but there's so many different subgenres involved here and it's just i just think it's 
kind of brilliant for it. Okay. All right. So what is your history with this movie? Because again, I had not heard of this. I had not seen it till you recommended it for the show. Uh, so that's my history is like, I watched this in the past week for the first time ever. <laughs> um, I remember seeing the trailer for it on, I'm assuming a DVD. I mean, I doubt it was VHS at the time, but I remember seeing a trailer for it and I was a big fan of Memento and I really liked Guy Pierce. So I was like, oh, that looks like it could be interesting. I like Westerns. And then I kind of forgot about it, but then it started showing up in stores in like the discount bins everywhere. And they had even redone the cover art and everything to make it look like Red Dead Redemption, the video game. Yes, they did. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, okay. So they're really trying to sell this, but I like Red Dead Redemption. So maybe this is crazy violent. And so I bought it for like, I think five bucks and watched it that day. And it was kind of one of those movies where I was telling people that I thought might be into like you should watch the proposition and i started sharing it around and everything so i had like a little close group of friends that we had all seen it and really liked it interesting i know it's a weird one it is a weird one to have that it it is i mean it it is you know i'm not gonna sit here and be like oh this is my new favorite film but i'm also not gonna say you know i didn't like it but it is i I think you you hit it right there it is a weird film in a lot of different ways Let's let me go ahead and pull in the critical review stuff because it, it it hits on a couple of points that I do want to talk about, and then we can really get into the uh, conversation about it. It sits at eighty five percent at Rotten Tomatoes, both as a critic score and as an audience score. So people like it. Yeah, hell yeah, they do. Just nobody has seen it. Exactly the point. Nobody has seen this movie. Yeah, Roger Ebert saw it. Uh, he is our positive review, uh, and he writes the director John Hillcoat, working from a screenplay by Nick Cave, has made a movie you cannot turn away from. It is so pitiless and uncomfortable compromising, so filled with pathos and disregarded innocence, that it is a record of those things we pray to be delivered from. The actors invest their characters with human details all the scarier because they scarcely seem human themselves. In what place within Arthur Burns does poetry reside? What does he feel as he quotes it? What does Martha, the Emily Watson character, really think as she uncrates a Christmas tree she has had shipped in from another lifetime? If Captain Stanley is as tender towards her as he seems, why has he brought her to live in these badlands? And and some of those are thoughts that I had as I was watching it. Some of them I had not thought because for me there was a lot of why. Like I, I and I probably need to revisit the movie a couple of times because I feel like the answers are probably in the film. I don't think it's a poorly assembled film, but there was a lot of why is this happening? Why is that? Ha- why did that just happen? Like the first time that the boss, I guess you will say, shows up. You know, uh-huh. David Wenham plays the character from Faramir from yep. Lord of the Rings. That's why I said Lord of the Rings kind of tied in. Yep, he, yep. he he. He just shows up and he has this tiny little scene and I was like, who is he and why was that scene in the movie? Because again, I think at the time I was really focused on this being about the Burns brothers and not being about Captain Stanley. Mm, that makes sense. I get that. But yeah, I get it. He shows up just to, you know, I mean, if you're looking for an answer, I think the answer is like just to kind of show how woefully unprepared and just coming undone the Captain Stanley is where this guy who's, you know, straight shirt button up, like law, the letter of the crown is in there just to kind of keep him on track still. And he just can't adhere to it. Right, but one of the things I thought about as I, uh-huh. since I've watched the movie is he doesn't get to have that life, you know, shirt buttoned up and, and you know, right. clean. And he doesn't get to have that life if it isn't for Captain Stanley. Captain Stanley is the reason that the civilized people get to have their civilized lives. Right. Well, yeah, I know, but it, it's... It's, you know, I mean, it's it's greed. It's it, people dictating what they want without even thinking of the consequences of what they're saying. It's, right. you know, and plus David Wedham, his voice. <laughs> Captain. It's oh. so good. What a prick. Yeah. 
All right. The negative review comes from Michael Booth from the Denver Post, who says, Singer-songwriter Nick Cave decided to pen a morality play from Australia's gritty frontier days, and the results are violent, uneven, and ultimately disappointing. I like a good gunfight, galloping horses, and terrified townspeople as much as the next bloke, but Cave and director John Hillcoat don't give us time to know their characters before bloody confrontations overwhelm the screen. Cave is trying to explore one of the basic themes of Westerns, the conflict between encroaching civilization and the crude outlaws of commerce and criminality that made such settlement possible. I, you know, the, the, the thing is, I can't disagree with some of his statements, but I don't, I wouldn't frame them in a negative light. I think the movie is about sort of the encroachment civilization and things like that, but it's it's not necessarily reflected on what it's going to mean to the quote unquote, you know, bad guys or the cowboys or savages. It's sort of what it, what bringing this in does to the quote unquote people who are going to civilize the land. Right. Like it's just constant opposition, be it from the land itself or the people in it. But I mean, obviously, there's no stopping it. And I don't, and like you said at the top of the show, and I think you're dead ass accurate, that it's less about the Burns and the Cowboys and all that. Like they're there to move, you know, because of Captain Stanley and what position he put them in and, and things like that. And it's sort of the land fighting back against the civilization. But ultimately, Captain Stanley still wins, really. Like, I know it's, you know, what ultimately what happens at the end is it's terrible, but he lives. Yeah. You know, what happens to the brothers happens. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, the movie is more Captain Stanley and the Emily Watson character and sort of the oppressive nature of forced civilization and things like that. But I don't think that necessarily makes for a bad movie, but I I do see sort of where your problem would lie in it too. Even the trailer is misleading as to what the film's going to be as well. Right. So I get it. I get why people would watch it. Like, this is not what I thought I was going to get. And, you know, but for me, that doesn't always make a bad time. No. And I, and I think it's, there were interesting choices made because I don't think given the level of violence that's, that's in the movie, I don't think you can sell it as Captain Stanley's story because like you could sell it as Captain Stanley and his wife and dealing with the price you're paying for civilization and, uh, you know, the way the town looks at him after he's made this proposition uh, and that kind of stuff. You, you can sell it as that as a high drama and it would probably work, especially because Ray Winstone is so bloody brilliant in this role. That's great. You know, I mean, he is he is phenomenal. But you can't sell it with that and then have Guy Pierce stabbed through the chest with an aboriginal spear and then half of the aborigines' head blows off. Yeah. You know, you can't great. sell it as a yeah. high drama and then have that in there. So it's it's a weird combination of film because it is it, it could very have easily been like a Oscar Beatty high drama period piece. But instead, it's kind of part that, but also part this very violent, the evil that men do kind of story as well. Yeah, and I think that's that's what I find to be sort of brilliant about it. Like, this is one of those movies that nothing else like it exists. Uh, it's You don't see these type of films, like, ever. This is definitely a Nick Cave, John Hillcoat, only two guys that could have done this type of film. But I think, like I said, I think that's what's brilliant about it. You get these moments of levity, and it's moments of, like, her, you know, telling him about her nightmare and him just slowly crying while listening to it oh god what a brilliant moment and again that didn't fit into the movie that i was expecting but it was like he is acting the hell out of this scene oh yeah i mean ray winstone is one of those guys if he's got the right material he can just turn in an amazing performance you know he's not playing fucking growl tiger and cats 
uh, he can do something better, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, let's, let's still pretend that movie doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah, I can't. My wife and daughter are watching it right now. Oh, um, dear God. Well, my wife, my wife bought the Riff Tracks commentary for it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so that's, she's that's li- listening to people shit on it. So, yeah. you know, but yeah, I think that's sort of like the, the brilliance of it. Like her, you know, it was a good point that was made in Ebert's review, like her on. Un- unpacking this Christmas tree and the fake snow and all the, the ornaments and all this stuff. And they're sitting there about, you know, this beautiful dinner is about to happen and and walks fucking Danny Houston and the other guy. And this just turns into horrible chaos for the last 15 minutes of the movie. Or like you said, you got the scene where him and David Wenham are having this sort of argument at his house and things like that. And then next scene is Guy Pierce getting a spear through the chest right. and then a head exploding which i i was waiting for him to wake up like i when the uh, aborigine's head exploded mm-hmm. i was waiting for the wake up like there's no way guy pierce just got speared through the chest like that and then it's not a dream and it was like what what really yeah 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 it's it's weird it's almost like it uses the violence as moments of levity to get you away from the hard drama right instead of comedy it's just horrible brutal violence yeah and, and, uh, and yeah. And and I guess focus on the Aboriginal side of things because the movie threw me immediately that it has a disclaimer at the top of the film mm-hmm. about the the potentially offensive images for Indigenous people. Yeah, because of the real photos they use, right? Too, which is it, it immediately to me that that's one thing about it too. It immediately sort of sets the tone for colonization, civilization, trying to civilize in air quotes a people who who don't need it they they have their own ways and customs and cultures and leave them to it but uh it sort of sets the tone for the movie though almost instantly like for me you know what you're getting it like maybe not know what you're getting into but it's not necessarily going to be a fun ride right but it's such an essential part of the movie as well because mm-hmm. you do have like they have uh, an aborigine as as you know like a manservant at the house so as good as uh, as good a character as captain stanley may be he, he does I mean, I mean, it's not a slave, but it's not a free man either. I mean, you watch the one scene where he's leaving the house and he takes his shoes off because that's right. not who he wants. To, he, he's not like he wears the shoes for them. He wears the shoes at their insistence. You you get that. But like yeah. you have the, the law of reciprocity brought up. The fact that they killed uh, an aborigine. So the aborigines are now killing the white man. Right. Was it kill one of ours? And then they'll kill five. Right. Like, yeah. Well, the. Right, exactly, and yeah, the, no, their their house man, he's a he's a slave. I mean, his they named him Toby and everything like that. I mean, yeah, I wasn't going to go that direction, saying? but I'm yeah, glad you did because I certainly it, was thinking it. It, it. That's that's what it is. And then you got the the one who sort of works with the military or the right. police, and then you got uh, even Danny Houston's group has one has an Aborigine with them. Right. It's just it's sort of a unique way to show sort of the different stages that these native people had to go through and things that were happening to them and in ways that they had to survive, you know, either out in the wild or become accustomed and and learn this really shitty thing that was done to them. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's pretty, it's, that's the thing, this movie. Yeah. It's, it's a violent Western and all that stuff, but it's also like, it's deep man, and dark and, depressing well sure and you get i mean you you get into the the not just the racism against the indigenous people but then you have john hurt show up for two two scenes and and steal it by and the way. steal both of those scenes absolutely oh yeah but, chewing the theatery but let's throw in a lot of oppressive racism against the irish yep 
you know, yep. in the midst of that. <laughs> right, well, you know, my, I'm used to hearing that stuff. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and like, yeah, he shows up and, yeah, it's very, very oppressive language against the Irish and, and, and the black, black community as well, but mostly against the Irish. But, yeah, he's, it's so funny. Like, I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, wait a minute, John He's nowhere on the billing or anything. Like, wow, John Hurt's in this? And yeah, he's in it for, what, five minutes? Yeah. If that. And he, he, just, he literally is introduced in one scene and dies in the next scene that he appears in. <laughs> and a horrible, horrible death. A deserved way. one, though. It's, I kind of uh, yeah. felt oh, happy no, about it. absolutely needed it, but it's disturbing as fuck. But uh, yeah, and he just chews the scenery up. And he looks so gross and so dirty and so nasty. But again, they all do in this movie. Everyone is sweaty and dirty. Well, yeah, and I mean, it's it it is a it, the flies. Oh, when they're on the back of the people's hats and stuff like that, it, it's like old like you you can see them like old Dust Bowl yeah. farmer photos, and it's just so nope, I'm good. I would yeah. not want to live there. Well, and the number of scenes that one of the actors and it's all every every single one of them has a scene, at least one scene that it happens, but where one of the actors is doing their scene and there's a fly landing on them and crawling around on their face. Yeah, right, exactly. But you have to admit, too, I mean, th- this movie looks gorgeous. Yeah. The cinematography, the color grading, the night filming, the landscape, everything. I mean, they did they capture, like, just hot, or did they not? I mean, like, everything looks hot. Oh, yeah. One of the reviews I, I read, they, they said that it's a Western, but instead of the uh, American West, they said it in hell. Yeah, and I think that's pretty accurate. I mean, <laughs> that's what it feels like. Yeah, but... um. And like I said, I love the score. This is another one of the, like, because I, you know, speaking of Ravenous real quick, another Guy Pierce movie, I love the weird score in Ravenous as well. See, I hated that. It bothered Did you? me. I, it actually I, took, I, it took me out of the movie. Yeah. Oh, no. Well, I've heard that before, though, from other people, but I liked it. I just think it's so bizarre. And the score in this is really bizarre, too, but it fits so well for me. And this, the Nick Cave the songs that he's singing where it's like real slow and then whisper tones and then loud, just bombastic, like screeching guitar. And then it's really crazy. But you like, you have that song, the very somber, pristine kind of Psalm being sung in the opening credits. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they bring that back into play so often throughout the film, but in this almost haunting kind of way that it's like, musically, it's kind of a reminder of the civility that they are trying to bring, but it also almost feels like it's falling apart over the course of the movie. Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with that. The song, every time you hear it, gets a little bit more unhinged. Yeah. And I think it's like three or four times it, it plays. But yeah, there's a scene where it'll be real quiet, and when it's showing, you know, Captain Stanley his wife, and then when it switches, the guy appears, Danny Houston, all racing on their horses, and it's just screeching noise and right, just loud and crazy. It's it's really well done. Well, and as you pointed out, the kind of the dichotomy of the the Irish song that's being sung at the same time, the visuals are showing us, you know, the youngest brother getting whipped. In, in a brutal fashion. I mean, it's so brutal that Oof. not only is it visually brutal for us, the audience, but it's being done so brutally that even the people enforcing the whipping can't stomach it by the time they're done. Oh, yeah. They just they, they don't want to do it anymore. They want to stop. Right. The people who are there watching to celebrate it all leave. They all walk away. Like, it's just too much. Yeah. And just the image of that, oh, the cat of nine tails and him wringing it out and that 
dark blood hitting the like golden pristine sand mm-hmm. like it's so disturbing it's so so disturbing and then i love the ultimate you know where ray winstone grabs it and just slams it into david wenham's chest and yep. gets the blood all over his face all everything. over his pretty white shirt and yeah his yep. face and everything yeah like good man fuck you although to be fair though the burns brothers they are criminals yeah. Oh, they're, they're bad horrible. men. They're bad men. I mean, none of them are as bad as Danny Houston and his group. And you kind of get the idea of that's why Guy Pierce and the youngest brother left. Right. Because it's just too much. But they're still thieves and murderers. And we know at least one of them is a rapist. You know, it's just... Well, but that's the Danny Houston one who's the rapist, isn't it? I believe that's the case, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why everybody is giving uh, Martha the cold shoulder in town in that one scene early on. And I didn't get that. I was like, she's in town and nobody is happy to see her. And what's going on? Like, I even put, it was another why. Why is this? And then I pieced it together that it's like, oh, because Captain Stanley had two out of the three Burns brothers. Right. Basically let the one go with the promise that the other one could be free too. Right. And he kept basically the least harmless, the the most harmless of the three he kept. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, yeah. that's the problem. Because you also get the idea that there's something maybe mentally wrong with Mikey, the youngest. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like he's sort of a man child. Yeah. 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 And, and so I guess I was really surprised. Again, not the movie I expected because I really thought, okay, our, our main character is going to have to pick. Does he mm-hmm. want to save the younger, his younger brother and kill his older brother, who is the worst of them? Oh, yeah. Horrible monster. Or is he going to you know, let the younger brother who's kind of useless die and kind of pack back in with his older brother. And so the resolution of this story mm-hmm. where they rescue Mikey, <laughs> it's like, what? This is not the trolley conundrum at all. <laughs> no. Well, they, yeah, it's like they rescue him, but he dies anyways, you know? Um, right. And then it, you could tell it's sort of Arthur is Danny Houston. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. I always forget. Um, Ar- but Arthur have, is, uh, yeah, Arthur is hardly, is, is, is Danny Houston. Yeah. You get the idea that Guy Pierce's character is like, well, Mikey's dead. You're a piece of shit. I, this is basically your fault. If you weren't so horrible, then this deal would have never been made anyways. Ultimately, what happened, what he does, which is one of my, another also great sort of death scene, you know, where he shoots Danny Houston, he just walks out and goes and sets in the sand, and then he goes and sets with him. Right. You know, it's, it's a really brilliantly done scene. And, you know, another also, too, like, you're like oh, God, is he going to push him? Is he going to push him? Is he going to push him when they're on the edge of that cliff? Right. And it's such a tense, you know, quick little moment because he's slowly walking up behind him. And then there's the idea, like, you could tell Danny Houston knows instantly that he's lying, like, about Mikey and that he's got that girlfriend, supposedly, and everything. He, can, he knows because uh, he keeps questioning him about it, you know. And it's just, it's such a tense, th- as soon as Guy Pierce is with him, you're worried for Guy Pierce. Yeah, exactly. Because he's not, he is a bad man, which, you know, mm-hmm. we want to hate, but he's not a dumb man. No, he's a bad man, but he's not a monster. You know, where Arthur is a monster. Samuel is a monster. Yeah, but, but, Arthur's, are, but Arthur's reciting poetry. How big of a monster can he be? Hannibal Lecter recited poetry. How uh, big of a monster was Hannibal? Oh, wait, pretty, never mind. Pretty big one. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> pretty big, big one. Yeah. Uh, I think Hitler did some poetry too. You want to go that route? Um, but, um, hey, no, I'm not the one who was bashing on uh, uh, Schindler's, Schindler's List, list right at the now, beginning yeah. of the podcast. Right. So. Could he could he use some more dog paintings? <laughs> but um, 
Evidence Locker is a weekly podcast about international true crime. Made by hardcore true crime fans, it's somewhat grungy. Join us as we explore the dark corners of the globe. We've covered cases from Sweden, Brazil, Australia, and the U.S., to mention a few. Find us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, the thing is, too, it's, yes, they're, they're all bad men. They're criminals, they're outlaws, or whatever. But you almost get Ray Winstone's idea, like, use bad to catch evil. You know, he can get to him. He can, because Arthur's become this sort of mythic, at this point, evil out there that even the aboriginal tribes are afraid of. They think he turns into a wolf at night, you know, right. and all this stuff. He's got this legend about him now. So it's just, it, it's like catching the most, you use a dangerous man to catch the most dangerous man. Send a maniac to catch a maniac. I think you're wanting to quote uh, Demolition Man there. Yeah, because that's one that I always try to bring up. <laughs> <laughs> Whose fault is it, do you think? Because after Mikey dies, mm-hmm. the line is, this is all your fault, Charlie. You never should have left us. And so he puts Mikey's death on on charlie right i mean i get that but i think because of arthur and his group and how they were charlie and mikey had no choice but to leave right because as as we said mikey is clearly like simple and could you know what could arthur's influence be on someone like that you know what could mikey potentially become right you know so get him out of there i mean it's it's arthur's fault it's also you know, but it is Charlie's fault and Mikey's fault too, because they are all criminals. They all yeah. had a tag on their head because of the things they've done. Yeah, and I think I almost think that's part of where the negative review comes in and talks about you know uh, not getting to know the characters mm-hmm. is they don't try to make Charlie sympathetic because he he is a bad man. You know, he right. he's not as bad as Arthur, but he's he's not he's a, a good guy. We can't like the movie makes no effort for us to like rally behind him because the movie doesn't want to humanize him. And so yeah, that does make it hard for us to get to know him, but I I don't know that I agree with the negative review saying, you know, that I don't want to know him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to. That's all. That's also the brilliance. And I know it sounds crazy. And I I don't if I don't think this will offend anybody. But if I do, I apologize. But that's also the brilliance in making the Mikey character, you know, mentally challenged is you are sympathetic towards that one, towards Mikey. Like he, 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 you know, he can't really help it. He's just doing what his brothers tell him to do. Right. He doesn't know better. He doesn't know any better. So that's that was smart. Because then you almost want to see Charlie succeed so Mikey can get through. Right. You yeah, don't really give a fuck there's about the Charlie. Sympathy. You don't care about Arthur. But yeah, you don't want Mikey. But uh, so that was that's pretty brilliant in my opinion. But uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, David Wenham's fault. <laughs> you know, ultimately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, hey, what about the Danny Houston head stomping scene? Oh, my God. It's such a... Like, you know, we've seen Drive and everything where Ryan Gosling stomped the guy's head and you see it happening. And you get glimpses of what's happening to the guy's head in this, but it's all just Danny Houston's face. Right. And no music and just grunting and exerting. And it's so just worse. Like, what you obviously, we all know what you imagine is probably so much worse. But sure. it's just, it's so brutal. Right, and I think that's a more effective way to do it. I mean, again, mm-hmm. they could have gone with it because they certainly do, again, you know, the, the, the head getting blown off earlier on in the film and, 
and some of the other things that they show us, they certainly could have given us the visual, but I think it's more effective that they don't. I agree. Well, even the head getting blown off in the film or even the spear through the chest, you see it and then cut. You see it and cut. Right. Like it's not, they don't linger at all. You know, even the rape scene or, or the attempted rape scene and the beating of Captain Stanley, you don't really see it. No, because the beating of Captain Stanley happens in the other room. We're not in that room. And then you just see whatever the fuck they did to him. Yeah. Like, like it looks like pieces of bone sticking out of his head and everything. Like he looks just destroyed, but yeah, it's, it's so much worse. It's so much worse because you don't see, you just hear it happening and just sort of Watson's reaction to listening to it and, you know, being forced to sit there with that Samuel guy while he eats her food and opens her Christmas presents. And, you know, it's just, it's pretty fucking gnarly. I, I do have to say, I think Emily Watson plays the hell out of her role, too. Like, I think I think she She's is wonderful. really effective in this film as well. Uh, I didn't like her at first. I was just like, oh, okay. But uh, the, as uh, again, as the film went on, and again, as I've had more time to sit with the movie in my head since I watched it, I was like, no, she was. She's a pretty important piece of that that puzzle. Yeah, and they could. I agree. When I first saw this, I wasn't crazy about her at first either. But it's one of those things where they consistently give her character more. Like she starts off as kind of the one note captain's wife, and then by the end of it, she's a full fledged character. Yeah, who's got you know horrible nightmares and problems about her friend being killed and you know the baby even and or she was with child and i think she had children like it's just it's yeah they give her consistently more and more to do to where by the end you are scared for which i like because at the beginning you know she's being asked to leave so that they can discuss stuff and he you know captain stanley's chastising his men for making offhanded remarks that she could interpret let's be honest the right way so for her to actually then reveal that she's had these nightmares so it's not something that she ha- it, it, it's it's not an element she hasn't thought about is uh-huh. as much as he's trying to protect her from it the truth is he brought her here and has put her in the middle of it and she got to know this other family and all this stuff has happened and she's traumatized by that and then coming face to face with it in the end of the movie yeah right I, exactly um you know that the one review even had a good point like if he cares about her so much why would he bring her here and all that but at the same time it's like wh- <sighs> What are you gonna do? I mean, you're you're married. This was probably like a position for life. Basically, yeah. he was given. So, she, what choice does she have? It's either go with him or stay in London. Like, no, you go. Right. And it's. I mean, it's terrible. It's terrifying. But you know, unfortunately, that's the way the cookie crumbles in most marriages. Is not mine, but most. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The last line of the movie is, "What are you going to do now?" Great line. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen next? What I think is going to happen to Charlie? I think Charlie's either going to get arrested or killed. Oh, That's really? What I think is going to happen. Yeah, so I, he learns nothing from this. No, because it never was anything to learn from him, just to protect his brother. That was it. Which he failed to do, and then killed the other one. <laughs> exactly. So what? What has he got to live for? Okay. Everybody he knows is dead, either by his hand or somebody else's, and yeah. it's just now it's just him, and he's so well known. Yeah. What's he going to do? He might, he's probably just going to sit there until Calvary comes. Oh, you don't even think he'll try to get away? Nope. Okay. I don't think so. I think he's done. Interesting. Interesting. What do okay. you think? I, I, I don't know. Uh, that's like, again, I, I, I this is one that I think I need to see more than once in order to really, because again, I mean, I can, I can count like one, two, three, 
maybe five times that I, in my notes, I wrote down, this happens. Why? Like, it doesn't make sense. And, and some of it in retrospect, you know, once you have the bigger picture does, but some of it, I, I just, I need to see it. And I think some of it is that what we talked about before that I want to, I want to sympathize with Charlie because he's our protagonist, but he's not a good man. So I want to think that he's learned something from all of this and he's going to go off and like live a better life. But the truth is he doesn't, there's nothing in the film to indicate that that's what's going to happen. There's nothing he does to redeem himself at any point other than, other than he does kill Arthur. And if he had right. made that yeah, choice yeah. earlier, then he, he possibly could have saved Mikey. But the truth is he might not have been able to save Mikey because David Wenham's character was, uh, wanted him, wanted him, uh, punished. Right. Yeah. There's nothing about Charlie that's redeemable. There's nothing about him that, you know, because again, they don't give you enough of character development for him. But like we said, I don't need it. I, you get it. Like what he's, what his conundrum is, is very simple. Do I let my younger brother die and kill the older? Or do I kill the older to save the younger? Right. That's really all you need out of the character. Right. No, and you I know, agree. It just, I think, again, I go back to what I said at the very beginning. I was expecting this based on that log line. To be a very different movie. And I totally understand that. But I guess it also runs into what we were saying earlier. How, how can you log give a long line for this movie? What else right. could you describe it as? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with you a bit. I mean, it's, but that's, as you said, it is a weird movie. It's not a bad one mm-hmm. by any means. Yeah, I don't think you like it and that deeply offends me. <laughs> All right. Before we get into the end game. Don't like, if people don't like what I like, they're wrong and dicks. <laughs> All right, before we go to the end game, what do we want to talk about with this movie that we have not yet mentioned? Uh, well, A, like I said, the score, of course, but just the the period accurateness of this film is something that's pretty impressive. Like, the type of rifles that were used, the handguns that were used, the clothing that was used, and the way it was stitched, everything, it's, it's very, very accurate. Um, and for a movie that never really had the chance to be a massive movie. Like, I don't think they went into this thinking we just made a hit. Right. Uh, but for them to care and give that much attention to it. And also, you know, Nick Cave is Australian. John, I think John Hillcoat's Australian. Guy Pierce is Australian. Like, it's, you know, probably a passion project for them to tell, you know, a little bit more of the darker side of the history of Australia. Like, yeah, the, I don't think the Burns brothers ever existed. No. But it's... But people like them did. People like them absolutely did. And this type of shit... Australia was known, I mean, it was a, other than the Aboriginal, like, natives who lived there, it, it was a British prison colony. That's how it started. Just to tack on to what you said um, about the costumes and that kind of stuff, the, the weapons, some of the weapons were handmade for this production. It wasn't that they went That's out and crazy. found authentic replications, it, that they had them actually handmade in that same fashion for this film. Yeah, th- that's what I'm saying. So for them to put that much level of detail into something that could never be a big hit. I mean, yeah. it just couldn't. For them to really care that much, I think it's just incredibly admirable. No, I agree. I agree. Because if the movie didn't have that, I probably wouldn't like it as much. It's the fact that it does feel so authentic and feels like you're watching it actually happen in that time period. Yeah, that well, the, the, buttons, the, the buttons were handmade on their, on their outfits. Insane. Like, That's come insane. on. Uh-huh. All right, man, let's go into the end game here. First up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is a list of movies that various algorithms say you will like because you liked the proposition. Oh, I can't wait for this. I am so glad you made the comment earlier about liking Westerns because I don't know many of these movies and a lot of them are Westerns. So let's see what you think. All right, right. first up, 
The Rover. The Rover is not a Western. The Rover is an A24 post-apocalyptic tale. Right. Uh, starring Guy Pearce and Robert Pattinson. Right. And there's the connection is the um, Guy Pearce thing. And I, it's also set in like Australia with the heat and all that. Uh, I saw The Rover actually not that long ago, maybe a couple months um, I just went on a, hey, I haven't seen this by A24 kick. And I think like Showtime was doing like a special thing on their streaming service of A24 movies. Okay. Uh, and I watched it. I think it's very flawed, but I think it's pretty fascinating too. Um, it's a great guy, Pierce. Uh, he's super intimidating, really skinny, dirty looking, kind of like this, but uh, also a really good Robert Pattinson performance. One of his, you know, one of his where people like, he was still unfortunately the Twilight guy. But uh, he's really good in it. Uh, it's a solid little movie. Okay. Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. Animal Kingdom. That sounds so familiar. All I can tell you is it's another Guy Pierce film. <laughs> uh, a 17-year-old navigates his survival amongst an explosive criminal family and the detective who thinks he can save him. It's oh, from it's a, um, 2010. Yeah, I want to say I've seen it. But that's obviously that's not a really good uh, <laughs> vote of confidence. <laughs> I can't remember it. Oh yes, I have seen this. It's just because of the guy Pierce of it all. Right. Okay. Uh, Ravenous. Well, you know, I love that movie. I think, uh, like I said, score aside, I think Ravenous is maybe one of Guy Pierce's best. Also, maybe one of David Arquette's best. Oh, definitely one of David Arquette's best. Yeah, I'd say that and the new Scream movie are probably his best work. But I mean, I just for a second, what an underrated, never talked about villain in Robert Carlyle. Yeah. He's so fucking good in it. Like, it's, he's chillingly good. Yeah. No, totally agree. Totally agree. All right. Uh, the Road. The Road. Oh, okay. Um, so The Road. The Road is one of those movies that affected me so much. I've only seen it one time. Oh, really? Yeah. I would never, I can't, I won't watch that again. Um, I, it's it's fucking great. I mean, Viggo Mortensen, great in it. Um, the little boy, I can't remember his name, but he played like Nightcrawler, and he was in the Let Let the Right One In remake. Cody, Cody Smith McPhee, McPhee. Yeah, yeah, Cody okay. Smith McPhee. He's really good in it. Garrett Dillahunt shows up for a minute, and he's terrifying. Um, Guy Pierce shows up in it too. Um, oh, really? So that's probably, yeah, it's probably why it's on there. But well, no, it's uh, on there because it's the same director. It's John John Hillcoat. That explains it a lot too. I say I wasn't even on. I don't think I was. I think I knew that. I might not, but it's just a super depressing movie. The book is even more depressing. But uh, yeah, it's it's really a beautiful movie. But I, I don't want to watch it again, especially after becoming a father. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, all right. Blue Ruin. Uh, I I haven't seen Blue Ruin. It's one that uh, my co-host recommended to me to watch, and a couple other people I know. Uh, I just I don't know. I. I I've seen the trailers for it. I just uh, okay. Okay, Lawless. I actually like Lawless with uh, oh. Tom Hardy and Shia LaBeouf. I I, <laughs> I, I like Lawless. No, let me tell you why I like Lawless. A, I think the soundtrack and score is fucking bangers. Like they're great. Uh, I think Tom Hardy turns in a oh, I'm a big, big tough guy performance, and that's about it. It's an admirable performance. But I think Jason Clark and Guy Pierce are phenomenal that movie guy pierce is such a scumbag i don't even remember guy pierce being in it he's, okay. he's the main marshal oh that's right like, okay yeah yeah okay i'm gonna have to revisit it i think it's fine it's fine bone tomahawk uh you know bone tomahawk is also one of those that i think i i really like it but 
it's also one of those that when I watched it, based on what people told me it was about and I watched it, is not what I got. You know, they're fighting troglodytes and all this, and they're crazy and so violent and all that. And it doesn't really pick up to that to that to the final half hour. Interesting. Most okay. most of it's just them riding towards where they needed to go to try to rescue somebody. And but it's still really good. But I will say when the violence does happen, it's brutal. brutal. And see, that's like, all I've heard about it is that it's a violent film. When it, it, it's it, think of, honestly, proposition like it's. The violence, I think there's like like a big violent moment in the beginning, maybe one in the middle and one at the end. Okay. All right. Uh, Sukiyaki Western Django. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I, I hate that movie a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one of those that I, I can't stand the title, but like Quentin Tarantino is in it. Oh, is he? Yeah. He's like, does the near opening, like. I'm going to tell the story of blah, blah, blah. Oh, God. He's, it's so fucking pretentious. And uh, from right there, I just clue out of it. I'm like, nope, I am good. Okay. Uh, Red-Headed Stranger. Red-Headed Stranger. From what? From when? It, it has Willie Nelson in it. Oh, the, oh, the actual movie? Yeah. Is, I knew, like, the Willie Nelson song. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I, is that the one with Morgan Fairchild? That I don't know. Uh, let me see if I still have it pulled up. If it's the one with Morgan Fairchild, then I've then I've seen it, and um, it is yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I've seen it. It's it's <laughs> it's well, it's Willie Nelson acting. So you know what? Are, what are you going to get out of it? All right, and then lastly, history of violence. Why is history of violence? I mean, I I like history of violence quite a bit. Yeah, but I, if you liked the, I don't think those two go together at all. I mean, maybe just for the random outbursts of violence, but other than that, um, but yeah, I really like History of Violence. I think uh, really good Viggo Mortensen, uh, you know, R.I.P., but a really great little small William Hurt role. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ed Harris also is always a good presence. Yeah, I think History of Violence is good. I don't think if you like Proposition, you're ultimately going to like it, or especially vice versa. But um, yeah, all right. Yeah, because I don't remember liking History of Violence, although I, I need to go back and see and see it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I liked Eastern Promises, the follow-up, better quite yeah. a bit. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything about you or what you like. <laughs> yeah, but you pick really good movies. All right, we always end with uh, pop quiz, four multiple choice questions based on the film. Are you ready? As ready as I can be. All right. Number one, director John Hillcoat conducted extensive research into the period setting of the movie, which he passed along to cast and crew as the film was being made. He drew particular attention for the film's level of accuracy in depicting what cultural element? A, the conflict between those who came to civilize and those who lived the civilized life. B, the dangers of the common people at the hand of the criminal population of Australia. C, the treatment of the Aboriginal people in the time period, or D, the pervasive presence of flies. Oh, shit. Um, oh. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm usually four for four of these, but I think I'm going to fucking shit the bed on this one. Yeah, um, this one's a hard one, I got to say. I, I, I'm just going to say B? No, it was the treatment of the Aboriginal people in the time period. They he he picked authentic actors to play those parts, and they even were impressed with the uh, the the accuracy, the level of accuracy that he was going for with how they had been treated. Well, son of a bitch. Yeah. 
All right, number two. In a 2018 interview, one of the cast members ranked this film as the favorite of all of the films they had made. Which cast member was it? A, Ray Winstone. Do you want me to let you you read the choices? You you can go ahead if you feel like you've got it. Guy Pierce. Yes, it was Guy Pierce. Absolutely. See, you got you got one. I'll take one. These these are hard questions. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Number three, John Hurt's character goes by the name Jelen Lamb. While some have hypothesized this may be a play on words, as lamb is often served with mint jelly, Jelen is actually a real given name that means what? A, godly and humor. (laughs) B, brutal and righteous. C, flaccid and harmless. Or D, drunk and racist. Well, I mean, all of those would apply, probably. Uh... (laughs) Good lord. Uh, I, I didn't have much to work with on the trivia for this. <laughs> no, no, no. That's fine. That's fine. Um, is it just because I want to say, because as much as he's like giggly and stuff in it, is it the godly, like the humor? The, the humor? godly and humor. It absolutely is. Yeah. That's what Jelen actually means. Which... All right. And number four, the film received a limited release in 2005 and really didn't find as wide an audience until streaming it made made it more accessible. At its height, how many theaters did the proposition play in in the United States? A, 3, B, 50, C, 100, or D, 200? Oh, God. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, these are fucking hard. Um, give me the choices one more time. Uh, A, 3, B, 50, C, 100, or D, 200. At its height, how many theaters did the proposition play in in the United States? I'm just going to say, because it's, I mean, it's the biggest number, but it's still a super small number. I'm going to say the 200. At its height, it played in 200 theaters. Yeah. It yeah. opened on only three screens. So with possibly one of the hardest pop quizzes that I've put together, you got three out of four. I'd say there's some bragging rights there. I'll take it. All right, man. Where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram. Yeah, no, don't don't look for me. Don't just don't look for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanton. That's S C H W A N D T S O N. And uh, you can also find my podcast on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, kind of everywhere. It's the Double Edge Double Bill or D E D B. And uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I've been doing lately. We just got done recording a, and released a commentary we did for the Friday the 13th remake in honor of this Friday being the 13th. Um, and then we have a episode coming out about uh, thrillers set in wintertime. And we're doing Ravenous and the awful Whiteout movie Whiteout with Kate Beckinsale. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Holy shit. But uh, yeah, so that's coming up. And then we got uh, some really interesting stuff coming up. Like uh, next month, we'll be doing a Patreon special, which our Patreon's only a buck to subscribe to. And we do a lot of stuff on there, um, at least four Patreon specific things a month. But uh, we have our own version of the Oscars coming out called The Dubs, where we actually uh, do 10 categories. I know it's the dumbest name, but on purpose, believe me, by design. And we do 10 categories and we kind of just list what our favorite movies are. You know, it's a lot of them are probably some that will be recognized, but I'd say probably uh, most of them won't be recognized come awards time. So it's kind of just our way to show appreciation for maybe, you know, genre cinema or genre film or just films that uh, maybe never got the chance i like it i like that idea very yeah, cool. it'll be fun all right well you know the fourth appearance uh, uh fourth uh, out of the out of the four movies that you've picked for this podcast i had seen the first one dark city 
The other ones either I had not heard of or I had not watched. So, you know, keep uh, keep feeding me uh, new movies to watch and we'll keep talking about them. I really enjoy it, man. Oh, I do too, man. And I'm sure I got plenty. Well, we already know <laughs> at least two. Jackie Brown and Snowpiercer. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Snowpiercer. I forgot, which was supposed to be this pick. That's what I was expecting when I sent you, hey, uh, let's do a movie. I was expecting you to pick Snowpiercer. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to go non-sci-fi for this one. Well, I enjoy it. Thank you, man. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about the proposition, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talnhess, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter. On Facebook, we are at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you enjoy this podcast, I invite you to check out my other show, Never Say Die, where I sit down with Drew Meyer, and each month we take a look at a movie and talk about our thoughts about the movie and how we would gamify it, using it as inspiration for our role-playing game sessions. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Adam Thomas for providing this week's conversation. Until next time, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other.